Welcome to Dancing in Your Head, the show which explores the out of reaches of music. I'm Dan, and uh, we've got a special guest in the studio today, Gerard Crudson. Hello, Gerard. Hello, Dan. And Gerard spent the last 45 minutes wandering around Paikakariki. <laughs> <laughs> Lost. Um, trying to find it's our house. It's a big place here. <laughs> so luckily uh, we tracked him down and um, brought him in. And we're sort of going to be doing a bit of playing some of Gerard's music and playing favourites over the next hour. And um, just to get into it, we're going to start with... A track. Um, so, Gerard, I'll just intro you just briefly. So, Gerard is a Wellington musician and artist, and um, he's done many things over uh, since the late seventies in uh, Wellington and uh, beyond. And um, one of those musical things was as a member of the Braille Collective in the early eighties, mid eighties, and played tuba with the family mallet which was a trio gerard with stuart porter on saxophone and anthony donaldson on drum kit so um the first thing we're going to play today is in fact a live recording of the family mallet from 1984 i don't think we know where this is from but uh it might be from the depot theater would that sound right i yes we did play there but uh yeah (laughs) (laughs) who knows Uh, So this, uh, to get us underway, here's the family mallet. (laughs) Don't watch your world, it's coming at you. Okay. Thank you. 
family mallet. Gerard Crewson, our guest, is on uh, tuba in that. Does that bring yes. back some memories for you, Gerard? It does now. Uh, 40 years ago and still keeping it up, still <laughs> playing tuba and trombone and some trumpet as well. And um, Yes, the, um, that began with a quirky little tune because our... Um, the idea behind Family Mallet was to um, uh, explore the world of childhood um, nursery rhyme tunes and um, simple ditties, but we also uh, would extend them into um, uh, lengthy improvisations as well. Mm. Mm. Um, and was that your... Uh because you were firstly a visual artist and you still are painter and story maker and um but was that your first um or maybe you've done some singing before that yes yeah. i've been on a <laughs> a church choir yeah. singing renaissance polyphony and um gregorian chants which stuart knew about and that was part of the the reason why i was brought into the family mallet <laughs> yes, the I think basically the more diverse backgrounds everyone had, the better it was. Um, yeah. Great. Well, we're here today to um, you've brought a bunch of recordings along, a few of your own, but uh, a whole bunch of variety of other stuff that you've in some way which you're going to uh, lead us through. Um, why you've brought them along here. I guess a bit of a playing favourites. So um, why don't we start off with what's on your list there? Uh, well, beginning with uh, an amazing uh, CD uh, that came out in 2003 on Rattle Records and it features uh, Hirini Melbourne, um, Richard Nuns and Aroha uh, Smith, and it's called Te Ikinga Arangi. Um, and the first, the whole thing moves me, but um, the essence of it is all in the first track. So mm. if we could play the first track, and sure. then I might talk a little bit about it. Oh, my. 
Nurira Pauru, Rokera, Mario, Hiere, 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 Yes, and I, um, I was in Australia for an extended period of time, and when I uh, came back permanently in 2007, I, I met and played with Richard Nunn's, um, which was a, a very important experience. And, and uh, one day I, I spoke to Richard about... Um, uh, a previous time when I was living in Australia and I had visited uh, Aotearoa and was flying back and I picked up a cassette of songs of Hirani Melbourne and it's the first um, time I heard Tonga Pora um, and they were his songs about birds, beautiful songs, simple songs and um, how powerfully that affected me um, which you begin to feel when you've lived outside the country of your birth for an extended period. And um, and, and Richard um, uh, then gave me, uh, as a gift, this, this CD. And uh, it was the last um, uh, recording that Hirani Melbourne made before he died. He died soon after that. And Richard is very ill at the moment and no longer performing and to me um what strikes me just in this track alone is that as a country we are every day struggling with the um the the residue of the injustices and 
inequalities um, arising out of colonialism and these huge problems. But in that sound picture, image, experience, to me, you've got this country, the essence of this country is it, as it is, as it should be, as um, we would like it to be. There's male, female, Māori, Pākehā. There's a beautiful, um, complete beautiful fusion of, of all of that. And um, it also links into uh, the the near future for me. I'm lucky to be uh, working with the third generation of Tongapura players in this country um, uh, with Ruby Solly, a, a, a wonderful musician uh, based in Wellington and um, she's invited me into a group with Ricky Gooch and uh, Ariana Tikao and Alistair Fraser, also Phil Boniface and Rosie Langebeer and um, to plan the jazz festival with um, sounds of music created out of Te Ao Māori. Um, so that yeah, means a lot to me. That connection back to Richard Nunn's and, and her in Melbourne mm. and Araha um, Yates Smith, yes. Mm. Great. Um, well, from one world to another, next we've got Schubert. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to but, introduce uh, what we're going to... To me, they're not so separate, but... Um, oh, great. Looking forward to um, hearing about that. Um, shall we play it first? And then, yes, yes. So this is Schubert's String Quartet. Number 14. Number 14. Death and the Maiden, um, performed by the Amadeus Quartet. There we go. It's a recording from about 1951, I think. Yeah.
So, the uh, Amadeus Quartet. Tell us about the Amadeus Quartet. Well, I heard this music played live in the old Wellington Town Hall. And I can remember the date, how strongly it affected me. It was the 25th of October 1972, and I just turned 18. And um, we were at the end of our school year, and um, one of my friends at school, uh, John, said, I've got some tickets from a family friend to um, to the Amadeus Quartet playing tonight, and I didn't know who the Amadeus Quartet... Well, I knew they were a famous string quartet. Um, so I went along and um, found myself in the front row listening to... This music played live, uh, and um, when I hear this recording, which was made a, f- a few years before the, the live performance, it's the same sound. It, it, I'm back there and on that night, and um, the sound experience was so intense for me, I didn't want it to stop, but I knew it would stop, and you've got this sort of melancholy, it's coming to the end. Um, and then it turned out that I, uh, after the concert, I actually met them because the the family friend of my school friend, um, her sister worked with them in, in Austria. And um, so it was a night of surprises. And um, the uh, three of the... Those musicians um, were um, Austrian Jews uh, and they'd grown up in Vienna where Schubert had lived and, and written that music in, in 1824 and they um, had to escape um, uh, Nazi persecution um, and they became refugees in England um, uh, and so there's all that history behind the the quartet um and uh the the sound of those instruments um i've always been drawn to acoustic sounds um and and acoustic spaces because part of the power of that sound was also the old wellington town hall which had a a really great acoustic and I was actually going on to study architecture at the time and I became fascinated with um, um, the way acoustics um, can enhance sound um, you know like the, the famous example of St Paul's Cathedral the Dome, the Whispering Gallery and um, you can whisper send a whisper to someone on the other side across the other side, something like 33 metres, and they'll hear the sound. And apparently the whisper comes more clearly than if you shouted because the shout, um, there's too much um, interference um, with the sound waves. So to me it's a lesson about or a realisation that sometimes something um, soft can have more power. Um, mm. Mm. Uh, and that's been a guiding principle in both uh, music and performance and visual art for me, trying to make the most out of out of the least. Um, and I tie that back also to 
one thing that really affects me with um, uh, the, that that first track of uh, Tangapora and the sounds of um, from Te Ao Māori, um, which is um, uh, being attentive to the sounds of nature and the the spirit, the wairua within nature. Great. Well, <clears throat> I'm looking down my little. Um, <laughs> since all I'm doing today is well, like introducing the next thing. The next I've got is the Sun Ra. Yes, futuristic we, we sounds move, of Sun Ra. Uh, we move Sun Ra and the futuristic sounds. We move continents and uh, and generations. Yeah. So this is about nineteen early nineteen sixty. Nineteen sixty one. Yeah. Sun Ra. We've played many times on this show, of course. Um, we'll give it a spin and then um, you can chat us through it.
that's the first track off an album called The Futuristic Sounds of Sunra. It's called Bassism and it featured Ronnie Boinkins, fabulous bass player there from Chicago. Yeah, and and also uh, wonderful trombone playing um, by Bernard McKinney, which yes. uh, you yourself, Gerard, uh, are a multi-brass musician and uh, trombone's one of your in your arsenal. Yes, and um, every sound of that, it's the the timbre of the different instruments and the interweaving, the, the rhythms, the melodic motifs, and um, I was a slightly out of the ordinary adolescent in that um, my, my interest and passion was classical music, and then through the the wondrous um, unexpected meeting with um, Stuart and Anthony and and David Donaldson and Neil and the Brow Collective crew, I um, came to know this whole other world um, of uh, Sun Ra and Coltrane and. Um, Ornette Coleman, Cecil Taylor, etc. And um, there's this uh, extraordinary achievement of um, of collective playing um, and individual freedom and composition and improvisation. Um, and uh, I was able to see the Sun Ra Orchestra um, three times when I first visited New York in 1990, shortly before um, Sun Ra died, and also John Gilmore, um, the year before they died. And um, the first time I saw them was on Coney Island Broadwalk, and um, the... Um, I got up close to most of the musicians when they were gathering on the Broadwalk before performing on stage, um, and they were in a circle, and there was someone in the middle of the circle doing a, a voodoo trance da- dance, and um, I seeing them up close. Their their clothes were colourful, but kind of shabby, and they just it really um, struck me that they weren't wealthy, um, uh, they didn't aspire to be wealthy, they, they lived a very hard life, but they, again, it's like uh, what Hirani Melbourne and Richard Nunsenaraha Yates Smith are doing, you're creating this in sound, this um, realisation of, of collective thought and action that it would be good to be able to build a, a larger society on that that kind of model that these musicians and composers are giving us and mm. performers um, uh, and I see that in Schubert as well, Schubert the, um, that movement that was played it's part of a larger movement where there's a theme and then there are 
variations on that theme and each variation is different and that grew out of improvising with themes which is very much uh, how jazz works as well um, so again they're not kind of separate um, uh, yeah so there's a sort of thread going through my choices <laughs> yeah it's interesting with the Sun Ra stuff because it's the more people you and uh, there was an ensemble that could extend to maybe 20 players at times but there was still that uh, or it could um, distill down to three or four at other times but there was still that uh, inherent kind of uh, freedom but um, also that uh, this this underlying structures um, within it it's a difficult thing to achieve. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, yeah, and I'm not sure how that would uh, extend then further on to a kind of mass <laughs> level of uh, um, on those ideas in terms of like uh, society-wide, you know, um, whether people have tried that. Well, it's on the level of to create something like that, you you have to um, you you're both fully realizing yourself as an individual and your creativity, but it's not as a sort of ego thing alone. It's within you're working, um, uh, you're creating something collectively as well. So, in a in a very sort of broad sense, you know. I, our society seems to be driven more by competition and dominance of of the powerful over over the over the um the least the less powerful um so I just see it as a as a model that it's like a something um to realize the future you've got to imagine it first and these uh, imaginations and sound um and i you know, Sun Ra, um, uh, his mythology was very much about um, trying to create another space from the horrific race, racist um, world in which he grew up in and was trying to survive in. That's right, yeah. Which leads us to Yothu Yindi. <laughs> yeah, <nice>. um, <laughs> Uh, so Yothu Yindi, maybe, um, do you want to just give us a little intro to this before we listen to the track? Yes, well, I I uh, moved to Australia, to Sydney in 1986, um, and two years later, in 1988, was the bicentenary of the invasion of Australia, and in Sydney, there were millions gathered around the... Um, Sydney Harbour and around the Opera House there was uh, royalty, Prince Prince Charles, Lady Diana, Princess Diana um, um, and opposing that all the um, Aboriginal nations throughout Australia had um, sent people to Sydney, they they met in Redfern and then they marched and um, right through uh, o over to 
where a huge Aboriginal flag was was flying, and I joined that that march because when I arrived in Australia, you soon realise it's a, uh, a deeply brutal state in terms of its treatment of Aboriginals right from the beginning. And at that time, this song came out by Yothu Yindi, uh, which... Um, uh, was was um uh, became really widely played in Australia. And I, I think it might have been worldwide as well. Um, uh, perhaps could play it. And um, mm. so this is your theory. It's called Treaty.
Yeah. Uh, th- that um, I actually uh, one of my my passions coming out of Wellington was um, disco dancing, and uh, but combining it with a, a, a kind of dance, I evolved um, performing with the Brow Collective and Primitive Art Group, which um, was a very uh, bizarre, loose-limbed form of dancing, which I think combined with um, classic disco moves to create something unusual. Um, but they, uh, I did quite a lot of nightclub dancing in Sydney, and the first time I heard that heard that track was in a nightclub, and um, I just remember how wonderful it was to hear um, about a third away through that you start to hear um, the 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 language of the Yongu people from um, uh, the Northern Territory in Australia, uh, and the the main vocalist is Manwai Yonapingu, um, and um, the song was written uh, between him and Paul Kelly, wonderful Australian non-Aboriginal songwriter. So again, it's like um, Hirani Melbourne, Richard Nunn's this this combining of Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal, and it's talking about the treaty, the treaty that still hasn't happened. Um, it's another kind of great imagining and, and sound of, of, of uh, the world as it should be. Um, and there's also the Yiraka or uh, didgeridoo and the, mm. um, the sticks clapping, the sound of that, just... The power of hearing that in in a nightclub was so strong for me. Um, yes, fantastic. Um, well, I'm just looking at the clock. We've got probably time for two or three more. So, um, uh, there's a couple we want to play of your own um, that you've yeah. been involved in, but maybe we'll do. Um, one more kind of favourite before doing those. There's uh, Stravinsky, Petrushka. Yes. Yeah. Going back so to the... it. It's got a great opening. Yeah, let's play it.
pieces of 20th century music. Indeed, um, written in 1911, and the second of his uh, major ballets for the Palais Russe, um, the next one after this is The Rite of Spring. Mm. And um, that has a memory of, of hearing it live for me as well. I, I saw a production of um, Petrushka by the New Zealand Royal Ballet. Um, um, traditional kind of staging um, and it probably would have been the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra playing so it's in the Opera House which again is a good old acoustic and the thing that's always struck me about this piece is the way it starts just bang, it also visually at the curtains um, uh, quickly part and there's a whole bustling fairground but it's that that sound of this this great sound that's instantly um you're thrust into it there's no no warning you're just in that world and it, it grabs you and never lets you go um and Stravinsky um is one of those uh composers that um just astonishes me um, the more I uh, know this music and they've gone back over 40 years as well um, and um, I've that just the impact alone of hearing that opening with Petrushka kind of fed into the next piece um, which is um, a track from a Sydney ensemble, large ensemble, 24 players called the Splinter Orchestra that I um, devised a piece for, which I'm also playing in, but it's it's a large electro-acoustic ensemble. Um, and uh, so track two is Tutti. So this is your own composition? It's it's a composition. Well, it's it's a, a composition in the sense that um, I devised a way in which the piece would be structured, and within that, there's freedom to choose pitches. Um, but there are rules about what you do with the pitches. And um, but it's called Tutti because um, I had been playing with the Splinter Orchestra and. Um, the one of the difficulties that can arise when you're improvising and particularly with larger groups is how you begin um and it can be very tentative sometimes that works um and i um because uh there was such an amazing assembly of of different kinds of instruments and sound sound makers in in this group i I wanted to create something where all the sound would start um, right at the beginning immediately um so yeah, this is tutti. <laughs>
So that's a couple of minute excerpt of First Tutti, uh, devised by Gerard Crudes and performed by the Splinter Orchestra. Um, the whole thing is 11 minutes long, unfortunately. And, and um, as it proceeds, the sound begins to thin out by subtraction, but um, at sudden points, um, and the way that that happens is... Uh, the, the the design that I devised that w- that worked, but um, uh, there was the the opening, which sort of ultimately derives from that the way that Petruska opens. But then there's that great big slab of sound, which to me also reflects my physical experience of Australia that enormous continent and the shimmering um, with heat horizon and if you take a train from Sydney to Adelaide you get overwhelmed by the seemingly infinite scale of it Um, and when that was recorded and I was working out these things I I was homeless living in Sydney on the streets and um, I didn't really tell the other musicians not to upset them but the first time I heard that was through uh, on a cassette walking around the streets um, this dangerous place sort of going through trauma so um, it all you know, relates back to what Yothu Yindi were fighting as well um, yeah <laughs> well it's been great having you on Gerard um, before we just play the last track of today um, we've been playing and talking about music but um Gerard, you're a um, multi-talented um, uh, artist of many different disciplines and um, have an upcoming exhibition at Pyramid Club in Wellington, which is opening this coming Thursday, which is Thursday the 15th of... Uh, is that right? Thursday? Yes, yeah, yes. Thursday the 15th we're opening. Um, uh, maybe in a f- that's a bunch of three-dimensional prints you've been making I when I went to Australia or Sydney I I, I did a degree majoring in printmaking at Sydney University and um, I've uh, off and on uh, kept up uh, in my work a, a fascination with with paper which is a form of wood um, or product of wood um, and um, the turning two-dimensional forms into three-dimensional shapes and also printmaking which is um, uh, multiples but uh, creating variations within those multiples so it's, it's analogous to the kind of music and sound making that I've been involved in and some of the things that like in the Sun Ra the, the motifs that um, are developed and altered and improvised upon um, and it's called Mysterious Creatures uh, Fantastic yes. um, So great and um, so look forward to that this coming Thursday uh, and to take us out, we've got Dreamville, which is Jeff Henderson's 
ensemble, which we were both part of on this occasion, I think. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I can see my name there. Um, this one's called Carrefour de Fort. Which uh, is based around um, uh, voodoo rhythms and I think Carrefour's Crossroads, which is part of that whole mythology. And I was thinking back to Coney Island and Sing Sun Ra, uh, musicians gathered in a circle with this booty trance dancer in the, in the middle of it and and Jeff Henderson has been one of the um, most um, influential people in, in in my the latter part of my, my career um, and Dreamville just brings everything together um, in terms of, again, individuals working together at uh, realising their individual voices but in this larger collective whole um, and uh, uh, expressing the joy of being alive. Fantastic. Thank you, Gerard Crudson. And this is Dreamville.